right, we're studying the book of Galatians. Kind of a short message this morning. I want us to look at the first uh, four or five verses of this book. I've given the introduction to it the last couple of Sundays. Just a recap on that is the Apostle Paul had started churches. He had gone as a missionary on his first missionary journey, he and Barnabas, and They'd started some churches up in the Galatian area in the cities of Lystra and Iconium and Derby, and uh, they'd had good response there. They had a lot of opposition, but also some good response. Some people had believed the gospel. That's wonderful to go and preach the gospel of grace, the grace of God, and he told these people, pagan people. Now, they were they were people who uh, had... Uh, uh, very little Jewish background, they were Gentiles, and they were just soaked in pagan religion, worship of Zeus and Hermes and all the uh, pantheon of gods, and Paul goes to them with the glorious gospel of the grace of God, telling them that God loves them. And that there is a God who created the world, and it's not Zeus, and it's not all these uh, human deities, human-like deities, and uh, that this God loved them so much that he sent his only son, Jesus, who lived a perfect life and then died, willingly, voluntarily died on a cross to pay for sins, and then to, that he rose from the dead, and now offers to all who will receive him, all who will believe in him, he offers them the free gift of eternal life. And oh, they received it. Many of them said they were just, they, they couldn't, they were overwhelmed with this great good news. The word gospel means good news. And so he told them this good news. They believed it. They began to fellowship together. They came together in small groups as as churches. The Apostle Paul appointed leaders in all those churches. And then he goes back to uh, Antioch, his home base. And and he's there for a little while. And word comes to him that a group of people from Jerusalem, of all places, has actually gone to those churches that he started. They were, in a sense, they were his own ministry. And this group of people from Jerusalem had gone to these Gentile churches, these early first Gentile churches, and had begun to say to them two terrible, terrible things. Number one that Paul was not an apostle. They discredited Paul. And I don't know if you've ever had that happen to you or not in some way to have somebody uh, malign you and to say negative things about you. But this was much more serious than just saying that he was a bad person. This was uh, uh, tantamount to saying that the message that he brought to you was false. And they said, uh, Paul is not an apostle. He was not numbered among the original apostles. He was not like Matthew and James and and Peter and John and all these different ones. Uh, He's a a Johnny-come-lately. He's a a guy that kind of wormed his way in. As a matter of fact, he was hating the church. 
He was a persecutor of Christians. And uh, he is false, a false teacher. Well, that was serious enough. But then the more serious was that not only is he not an apostle, but he taught you error. He made it sound like that in order to be right with God, all you had to do was believe that Jesus makes you right with God. And they said, that's just not true. But now here is the gospel, they said. The gospel is that God has given us a set of laws and regulations and rules and that if you will keep all these rules, if you will obey all these regulations, if you will submit yourself to all of the Jewish ceremonies, then you can uh, be right with God. And it was confusing to these people. Now you think about how confusing it must have been because they had only been believers for a short time and all they had was Paul's word. They didn't have Bibles, by the way. There hadn't been any, any letters written. There hadn't been any Gospels written. All they knew was what Paul had told them. And so uh, they began to, to question whether Paul was genuine or not. They said, well, maybe he was just, uh, maybe he was tricking us. And, uh, and then they began to say, well, well if, if what we need to do in order to be right with God, if we need to be circumcised like the Old Testament uh, law for the Jewish men were, if we need to offer sacrifices, if we need to, uh, to uh, change our eating habits and eat only foods that are authorized in the Old Testament, and if we need to go through these different purification ceremonies, then I guess that's what we'd have to do. Well, word got back to Paul what was happening, and he was so angry. In fact, when you read the letter to the Galatians, you feel some of the anger in the, in the tone of the letter. You need to read it as an angry epistle. As a matter of fact, it probably is Paul's first letter that, that he wrote to the churches. So it's, if you were reading a chronological Bible, this would come before Romans for sure. And so he's writing to these people. In the first two chapters, he defends his apostleship. He begins to explain, I did not claim to be an apostle just because I thought that would give authority to my message. I am an apostle. And we'll see that in a minute. And so the first two chapters, he defends his apostleship. The second two chapters, mainly he defends the gospel that he preaches. He does a little of that in the first two chapters too. And then the last two chapters, he talks about how uh, all of these things apply in our life. So that's the general outline. And so let's look at the first uh, uh, few verses uh, of the first five verses, he starts off, Paul, an apostle. He just lays it right there on the front doorstep. He said, I want you to know 
I'm not Paul a missionary. I'm not Paul a Christian. I'm not Paul a former Jewish student or rabbi. I'm Paul an apostle. And the word apostle is a very, very specific word. It's different from disciple. The top people, we talk about the 12 disciples, and they were disciples, but later Jesus ordained them to be apostles, and he called them apostles. And an apostle, apostello, is the Greek word, and it means one who is sent forth to represent an authority, a king or an, a, 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 a governor would have those that went forth in the power of his authority, bearing his name, bearing his message, and they would say, we have been sent forth from Caesar. We have been sent forth from the governor, and to what you do with my message, you're doing with his message. And so apostles were those that had been specifically ordained, set apart, sent forth to bear the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's why this was so important. Uh, apostles had the authority to write Holy Scripture. Nobody else could do that. And those in the New Testament, those who wrote, and Matthew, of course, was an apostle. Mark, although he was not an apostle, his letter is based on what he received from Simon Peter, who was an apostle. Luke, although he was not an apostle, he bases his on what was given to him by Paul, who was an apostle, and then John and, uh, and the, the other writers of the New Testament, they write with authority because they were authorized by Christ himself to write Holy Scripture. In fact, the Bible tells us that our whole faith rests on the testimony of the prophets and the apostles. And so for somebody to claim to be an apostle who wasn't an apostle was a very, very serious matter. Now, I realize there are some churches and some groups today who say they have apostles. They have uh, people in their church who are called apostles. And uh, I think that's an error. There were Apostles, but they were originally confirmed by God Himself to write the New Testament and uh, to to function as His apostles. Now there are missionaries; these are people who are sent forth by the church and by the Lord, but they do not and cannot, must not, should not write any addition to Scripture. If there was truly an apostle today, then he should be able to add texts that are just as inspired as the New Testament. There are no such apostles today. So Paul says, I'm Paul, an apostle, 
not from men, nor through man. In other words, he said, I didn't get my authority from the, the church in Jerusalem. I didn't get my authority through some men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. He says, I receive my apostleship the same way that Peter received his apostleship, directly from Jesus. Now, the reason that there was question about Paul being an apostle is because he was not one of the original twelve. And also, he was not present at the resurrection of Jesus. And so there seemed to be some justification that these people had in saying, how could he be an apostle? But Paul says three different times in the New Testament, he tells us the story of how he was confronted by the risen Christ on the road to Damascus, and he was converted to his faith in Jesus Christ. And then he tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that the resurrected Jesus appeared personally to him. It was indeed a marvelous miracle. And uh, now I'm going to say something here for the next minute or two that you can just kind of take it one way or another. I'm not even sure what I mean by some of it. But uh, that's comforting, isn't it? <laughs> but uh, after Judas betrayed Jesus and then hanged himself, they were left with just 11 apostles. And uh, so they said, we need to, Acts chapter 1 tells us that, they said, we need to ha have somebody to take Judas's place. They based it on some scripture, and they based it on the fact that Jesus had appointed 12. And so the Bible says that they nominated two men to possibly take Judas's place. And it does not say they were led by the Holy Spirit. It doesn't even say they prayed about it. It's just that they said, well, there needs to be a 12th apostle. And so they uh, put forth the names of two men, uh, a man named Justice and a man named Matthias. And then they said, well, uh, now let's determine which one of these two. And then they cast lots. It'd be kind of like flipping a coin or rolling the dice or something like that. And the lot fell on Matthias. And so Matthias was chosen to be the 12th apostle by men. That's right, exactly, by men. And we never hear another word about Matthias in the Scripture. We never hear any more about him in church history. We just don't know anything about him at all. Now, this is a personal belief of mine. And I, I can't even prove it. That's what I was kind of stumbling around a minute ago about. I don't think Matthias was ever intended to be the 12th apostle. Amen. I think that was, that was a human thing. This was before the Holy Spirit had come and baptized the people into uh, one body. And they were, they were just, just seemed like maybe sometimes what we do in our own life. We just kind of try to figure things out, you know, and when we don't know 
exactly what to do. Baptists usually will appoint a committee, you know. I'm not saying anything wrong with committees, but I'm just saying that's not the biblical way always to get the heart and mind of God and to put forth two men and say, well, which one of these two is it supposed to be? And the Holy Spirit saying, it's neither one of them. Don't, don't choose this one or this one when I've got one that hadn't even been converted yet that will be the 12th apostle. And his name is Saul of Tarsus. And he's a persecutor of the church. But I need to let him run a little bit longer on his leash before I yank the chain and bring him to faith in me. He's got, I've got some things he's got to do first, but he'll be the 12th apostle. And you say, well, can you prove that from Scripture? And I, 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 I don't guess I can. But I'm just telling you I believe it with all my heart. I believe that Matthias was never intended by the Holy Spirit to be the apostle to take Judas's place. I think Paul was the one that God had chosen to take the place of Judas. And I guess we could argue about that and all that kind of stuff, but you wouldn't convince me and I wouldn't convince you if you don't believe it. But, uh, but what does matter is that Paul saw himself on an equal par with Simon Peter. He said, if Peter is an apostle, then I'm an apostle. And, uh, and he said, if, if uh, John is an apostle, then I'm an apostle. Because my apostleship didn't come from men like that of like Matthias's did. It wasn't based on the casting of lots, but I had a personal encounter with the risen Christ, and he is the one who appointed me to be an apostle. Now, the reason that's important is because Paul wrote 13 or 14, if you believe he wrote the book of Hebrews, which I do, but he wrote 14 of the 27 books that made, that made our New Testament. If he's not an apostle, then why should we believe anything that he had to say. But if he is an apostle, and he clearly states that he is, then we would say that the things that God gave him to write, he had the authority to write. So when I read First and Second Timothy or Titus or Philemon or, or uh, uh, Romans, First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, First, Second Thessalonians, I read those books. I don't just say... These are books in the Bible. I'd say these are books authored by the Holy Spirit through his apostle, Paul, and everything that he wrote has the same authority as if Jesus himself were standing right before us saying these very things. So he says, Paul, an apostle, not, through, not from men, not through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. And then 
He adds, who raised him from the dead. Do you know that the resurrection of Jesus is the central fact of the gospel of the New Testament? You say, well, I would think it'd be the cross. Well, obviously, there could be no resurrection without the cross. But if there was the cross and no resurrection, then the cross itself would lose its, its meaning. It is the death and resurrection of Jesus that is the gospel. And Paul, when writing to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it says, And this is the gospel which I declared unto you, that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day according to the scripture. It is the resurrection of Jesus that matters. I was talking to a young man this last week who is a skeptic. He wouldn't say he was an atheist, but he would say he's a skeptic. He's an agnostic, he said. And I said to him, he was talking about, I don't understand about the sun standing still. I don't understand about all this kind of stuff. I said, none of those really have anything to do with salvation. Here's the real question. Do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead? Do you believe that Jesus died on a cross, that he was buried, and that three days later he rose from the dead? And if you believe that, if I believe that Jesus rose from the dead, then believing in the sun standing still is no problem at all. Believing in the dead, dead Red Sea, Dead Sea, the Red Sea parting, it's no problem at all. If God can raise a man from the dead who's been dead for three days, then he can create the world by just speaking it into existence. He can send plagues on Egypt. He can do all the things that we read about <coughs> that people wonder about. But the real question is, did Jesus rise from the dead? So much so that Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that if Christ is not risen from the dead, then we are still in our sins. And more than that, we are a bunch of foolish people and we are teaching error. And we have no hope in this world. It rests on the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And to this young man, I recommended a book by Gary Habermas. If you ever struggle with, did Jesus really rise from the dead? I'd recommend that you get the book by Gary Habermas and read it. He is the, it's considered the classic defense or apologetic for the resurrection of Jesus. And uh, when you finish reading that, I don't think you could ever come away as a skeptic. He gives so many evidences, both biblically and extra-biblically, for the resurrection of Jesus. And uh, nobody can be a Christian who does not believe that Jesus rose from the dead. You might have some other questions, but you cannot be a Christian if you do not believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And then he says this is to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father 
and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace, grace and peace. Charis and Irene. You know those two ladies? Any any of you know anybody named Charis? Yeah. You know anybody named Irene? Good night, Irene. Okay. Those are the Greek words, Charis and Irene. These are the words for grace and peace. Grace and peace. The word grace, Charis, has two other words associated with it. One is just char, C-H-A-R. It's the Greek word for joy, absolute delight, ecstatic delight. And then charismata, which is the word for gift, gift. And so when we think about grace, we're thinking about a gift from God that brings great joy in our heart. And grace is uh, God's undeserved, unearned favor and blessing on sinners. Do you thank God for grace? Yeah. Grace is that means by which God looks looked at you, a sinner who deserved nothing but wrath and judgment, And he says, I set my heart on you. I love you. And I know there's a problem because your sins have separated you from me and your sins have to be dealt with. But I will deal with them. And he sent Jesus to take my sin upon himself and take away, take it out of the way. And that which separated me from God, grace took that which separated me from God, placed it on Jesus, and took it out of the way. So that's grace. But then there's another problem we have, not just the problem of our sins that deserve wrath and judgment and punishment, but then there's a, an accusing conscience that we have. There's a a voice that tells us we're we're unworthy, a voice that tells us that we're not enough, a voice that reminds us of our weaknesses and our failures, a voice that is a condemning conscience. And even Christians, hey, we were talking about that in Sunday school this morning, that even Christians may have an accuser and do have an accuser that stands before us and says, you're not a good Christian. You're not even, you, you don't have any right to pray. And he says, grace is what takes away the judgment of sin against us, but peace is that which calms our accusing conscience and says, you are not only loved, you are mine. And you can approach me with confidence at any time because I have forgiven all of your sin. Grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins in order to deliver us from this present evil age.
according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now that's Paul's howdy. In the, that, that's his introduction to this letter. But I tell you, Paul can say more in a, in a howdy than most of us can say in 40 letters. Isn't that true? He says, He gave himself for our sins to deliver us, to rescue us. By the way, this word for deliver here, it's the only place it's used in the New Testament. And it means to rescue, to uh, to. to of course, the idea is used many places, but this word is used on here. It means to take you out of a place of destruction and put you into a place of absolute safety. And that's what God did for me. He took me out of a place of deserved destruction and put me into a place of undeserved absolute security and safety. He took away my sins and thus cleared the wrath issue and then he dwells in me to give peace to my troubled conscience. And he did that by delivering him to, to giving himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age. And by the way, this is an evil age, isn't it? Haven't you been appalled at the things in the news the last couple of weeks? My goodness, whenever I, I read about high government officials actually endorsing infanticide, late-term abortion, right up to the day of birth, and even some say even after the baby is born, it's okay to, to take its life. Or let it die rather than making, taking steps to rescue it. This is an evil age. When you're reading about people crying out that we ought to have the right for uh, transgender women to go into kindergarten classes dressed in women's clothes, a man dressed in women's clothes, and read books to our children uh, approving of uh, all kinds of promiscuity and perversion. This is indeed a present evil age. How can we be rescued from such, such an uh, age? It is through Jesus Christ who gives us a new will, new affections, and new heart, a new mind. And he, by doing so, delivers us from this present evil age according to the will of God our Father. And then he closes that this little section with just a doxology. To whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. To him, because of who he is, because of what he's done, to him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Have you received that gift? Have you received grace and peace? Grace is that means whereby 
all your sin is taken away and you are received into God's family. Peace is that inner working of God's Spirit that gives you confident assurance to be able to say, I know that I know that I know that Jesus is my Lord. Heaven is my home and God's Spirit lives in me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for these opening verses in the book of Galatians. And I pray that you will help us to let your spirit apply these verses to us as we need it. Father, if, if there's somebody here who still is under your wrath, I pray that you will help them today to see Jesus as the wrath bearer and to know that he took that wrath so that they could be free, could be delivered from your wrath. And then for those here who str struggle with a accusing conscience, I pray that you will give to them peace. They might be able to rest and rejoice in the fact that you are theirs and they are yours. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We invite you to like us on Facebook or visit our website, www.bearcreekbaptist.org. If you're not a member of another church, we would like to invite you to join us in person and get to know us, and let us get to know you. Have a great week, and may the Lord richly bless you.